The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. When Mary, the sister of Lazarus, came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to the crowd, untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what he had done began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. You're all going to die, every one of you. I'm just a fountain of joy today. It's amazing how off-putting we find the obvious. But it's the truth. From the moment you were born, you were on a movement toward the grave. We all have been. That's the truth. And it's a truth that the human heart does a masterful job of trying to avoid. Consider these last two very long years. And simply from a Catholic perspective, what we experienced. And not so much the issue of lockdowns and masking and things like that, but rather the preoccupation with keeping ourselves safe sanitizing everything, worrying, stressing, fretting, implementing protocols, and not that that was bad, and yet in the middle of all of that, 
precious little reflection on the simple truth of our own mortality. And that highlights how difficult it is to understand the promise in the first reading we heard today. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will re remove the veil that has settled over all the nations and will destroy death forever. Because the simple fact of the matter is, we can't even begin to imagine a world that doesn't have death. Everything we do is done in the horizon of protecting ourselves from the advance of the grave. From the clothing we wear to protect our bodies so that we don't get sick, to, especially as we get older, those dozens and dozens of doctor's appointments over the course of a month, to the way we fret and stress about our health, the shelter we need. And then we look at the violence and the danger in the world around us. And what do we do? We install security systems. And we act to keep ourselves safe. And even with regard to something as basic as travel, we have to be careful on the road because driving has become dangerous. Note how much of what we do is determined by the need to keep ourselves safe because our lives are fragile and will come to an end. And we spend our time doing what we can to put off the end and yet rarely facing the fact of the end. That's why we have today, All Souls Day. It is the day where the church puts before us the mystery of our own mortality. And it does so against the horizon of the fact that we have all lost someone. And in doing so, the church is emphasizing for us, let's be careful with what we think about that word, loss. We speak of death as loss of life. We speak of the passing of one whom I have loved as I have lost someone. But we gather here in this place as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who described his mission as seeking and saving those who are lost. Isn't that interesting? Into the mystery of loss, into the reality of being lost, Jesus Christ comes. And when he took flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary and was born for us on Christmas Day, just like us, he began a movement that would lead to the grave. When we speak of the fact that the Lord's dying on the cross was no mere accident, it is important to recognize that. When he came and took on our humanity, 
his decision to save us was to take on that humanity completely, including what we name the experience of being lost, of losing life. The difference is, however, that on our account, death comes into the world because of sin. On the account of Jesus, he embraces death because of us and because he loves us. Note these two different approaches then. One, death is a punishment. Death is a consequence. Man turns his back on God, the source of life, and finds himself left with that which destroys life. And then there is God who refuses to let us be merely lost, who loves us to the point of even taking to himself that reality which we spend most of our lives fleeing from. This in no small measure is why for hundreds and hundreds of years, classic spiritual advice was if you are simply beginning to try to grow in your faith, if you are experiencing the first stirrings of conversion and you want to rouse your heart to seriousness and fervor, begin by contemplating the end of your life. And that sounds off-putting and strange because we say, can't I begin by contemplating how much God loves me? Can't I begin by contemplating the mysterious wonder and the goodness of my creation? And the great sense said, no. Contemplate the reality that you have life now. But that life has a limit. And contemplate the simple fact that at the end of your life, two outcomes are possible. And consider the one you want. And note the power of that. The issue is not to be depressed. The issue is not to be afraid. But the issue is then when I know the outcome toward which my life desires to go, then I know the direction of my living. Then I have a motivation for charity. Then I have a motivation for prayer. Then I have a motivation to move. Note how powerful that is. The more comforting ways we like to begin, if we're not careful, become subtle traps that induce a certain complacency. Jesus loves me, so I'm good. That's true, but let's not take that for granted. Because it's important to know how Jesus loves us. And so we gather today in the horizon of the fact that death waits for every one of us and has already claimed so very many of our loved ones. And yet, within this, there is something incredibly profound. The Lord in our gospel reading today is at great pains to show us that. Note, Lazarus is his friend. And yet Jesus arrives, it would seem, too late for Lazarus. Lazarus' illness has claimed him. Lazarus 
has died. And then Jesus shows up. And let's be honest, there can be for some of us that experience of All Souls Day. Okay, I'm going to pray for my loved one now, but what good does it do because he or she has passed away? And yet here we are, conscious of our loved ones, gathering in the presence of Jesus who is in fact with us. And note Jesus says, take me to where you have laid him. Take me to the grave. Jesus literally visits a cemetery. He visits a tomb. As so many of us do where we go and pray by the graves of our loved ones. And the Lord goes to that grave and is confronted with the question that is all too natural. He can do so many things. Why didn't he do something here? That question of why. Why did I have to lose my mother? my son, my friend. Why did his life have to end so quickly? Why? Why didn't he do something? And notice that question is asked right as Jesus weeps over the loss of his friend. So let's linger with this weeping of Jesus. We don't often reflect on it. But consider how many tears you have shed over your loved ones. Consider how much sadness has touched your life because someone you love is no longer with you in the way you are accustomed to. And notice that Jesus first shares the pain of loss. Because Jesus doesn't come to save a world that doesn't exist. And Jesus doesn't come to take the experience of a world that doesn't exist onto himself. The fact of this world is that we experience the sadness of loss. And the Lord doesn't run from that, doesn't hide from that. He actually shares it. And in doing so, he makes holy the tears you shed over your loved ones. Because the Lord who cries over his friend Lazarus is that mercy of God who wept over the fall of Adam in heaven. Is that love of God who has shed tears for all whose lives have ended because of our love of sin and the guilt we habitually carry and add onto our own lives. He weeps here for Lazarus, but Lazarus is not the only one over whom Jesus has wept. The Lord who weeps for Lazarus has wept for your loved ones too. And as the questions are asked, the Lord gives his answer. He hasn't come to deny the reality of what we have brought upon ourselves by our sinfulness. He has come to heal it. 
And so what he does is he speaks now. He says, remove the stone and note the response. Oh, Lord, that's a bad idea. It's been days. That's not... We're going we're gonna to roll that stone away and the stink of death and rot and decay, the odor of loss, the smell of hopelessness, the aroma of futility is going to perfume and poison the air. Don't do that. And consider... Consider how many of us who bear the name Christian are tempted to grieve in a way as if we had no faith. That all is loss, all is pain, all is absence. And we get so dramatic with that. And all we see is the darkness. All we feel is emptiness. And we're afraid of going there with faith because of that aroma of futility that can poison the air of the spirit. And notice that the Lord has no patience for the excuse. Do you believe or not? If you do, move that stone. And here the Lord is saying, be willing be willing to roll aside that heavy stone of hopelessness, that stone of doubt, that stone of sluggishness, that stone that says, I can't do anything. Roll that away and let me speak. And notice, the Lord says that because he's not about to speak to a rock. He's going to speak into a reality that was closed off. It's absolutely remarkable. The stone is rolled away. And there's nothing but the darkness of that space. And he speaks. Think about that. Can a dead ear hear? No. Can a dead leg walk? No. Can a dead heart beat? not by any measurable standard in this world. And yet he speaks. And a dead ear hears. And a dead heart beats. And a dead leg begins to move. Note the power of this word. And it's not a request, it's an order. It is a command. Lazarus, you get up. Not, okay, Lazarus, it's time. You might want to sleep a little more. <laughs> get up and get out of there. You come to me. Note how powerful that is. Speaking into the grave. You don't stay there. And note what he is showing all of those who witnessed. Because this is not something private merely for Lazarus. What happens for Lazarus is the sign of this great voice of Jesus Christ who knows our names and who longs to call us out of the loss of death into a home with him. I have come to seek 
and to save those who are lost. And so that we might know how deadly serious that is, Jesus speaks a word that cuts right into the ultimate loss. And why? Because as it is so beautifully expressed in the Song of Solomon, love is sterner than death. Not stronger, sterner. There's a firmness of love that is more firm than the firmness of the grave. And it is with that firmness, the firmness of a love that will not compromise, that the Lord speaks. And that love demands a response. And the demand is so strong. Even death has to give way to life. What a remarkable moment. And so the Lord calls. And Lazarus begins to come forth. And what do we hear? But he's bound hand and foot in burial wrappings. So he's sort of shuffling and hopping and swaying. It's an awkward, impeded movement. And then the Lord turns and St. John is very careful how he expresses this. The Lord turns to the crowd, to everybody, and speaking to everybody, not just his sisters, not just his immediate family, speaking to the crowd, to everybody, he says, untie him. Untie him so that he can come. This is why we're here. The Lord, the Lord calls our loved ones to him. But we know, just like us, our loved ones were far from perfect. Just like us, we have many in our families whose lives oscillated between sort of good, sort of bad, sometimes really bad, but trying to change. We know that there are many of us who were never so wrong that they would be lost in an ultimate way, but were also never so good that they sought heaven with the fullness of their hearts. And the Lord calls them. And then he turns to us and he says, and you untie them. And you untie them. That lingering attachment to sin, which prevents them from freely coming to me, you can help them with that. Those wrongs that they never righted while they were alive, you can help them with that. Those imperfections and bits of selfishness, even those secret sins and prides that still cling to them, you can help them with that. I've already called their name. I have already called them to me. Untie them so that they can come to me. What a great thing it is that we do here today. 
What a marvelous thing it is that we do here today and over these first eight days of November. For those of you who would like the information, we still have written copies available of the special indulgences that are available over the first eight days of November. We're already on November 2nd. Your being here today to pray for your loved ones is powerful. But over the remaining the next several days, simply visiting a cemetery and praying for the dead, any cemetery, anywhere, whether your loved ones are buried there or not, can win great graces as well for your loved ones. The church takes the Lord's word seriously when he speaks to the crowd, when he speaks to everybody and says, let them loose. Forgive them what you need to forgive. But also recognize, however long ago they may have passed, your prayers today will stand with them when they appear before my judgment seat. However long ago they may have passed away. Note how powerful that is. It doesn't matter if my great-grandmother died 50 years ago. My prayer will be with her in that moment before the Lord. She won't be alone. Note how marvelous that is. Our prayer today has that effect. Our loved ones are called because the grave is not the end for us. Our loved ones are called because they're not lost. Our loved ones are called because the Lord has, in fact, found them. And then finding them, the Lord turns to us and says, let them loose. And note what that means. However often you've said it in the past, you haven't lost them. They've been found. Untie them. Let them come. And note how beautiful it is. Because in a sense, in a sense, what we prepare our loved ones to do is what we're going to do in a moment. You're going to come forward. Stretch out your hands. And why? Because the Lord has called you here. He calls you to himself. And you're going to reach out your hands and he's going to give himself to you. But we're also here because we recognize this calling us to himself here is at the service of getting us ready to do what our loved ones are experiencing now. At the end of our lives, the Lord again calls us to himself. And he wants us to come forward and to stretch out our hands. But in that moment, it will not be so much that we receive him, but that he receives us and takes us to himself into a home where there is no shadow of death, no sting of loss, and no taint of the grave, where the air is perfumed only by life and by love. And what a marvelous thing indeed that is. Amen.